Salutations from space, and welcome to the Storytelling Podcast with your host and celestial navigator, Gemini Brett of More Than Astrology. This show honors the ancient tradition of verbal transmission, so each episode will begin with a new telling of an old myth or legend. We will then seek to unveil hidden gems of cosmological, philosophical, astronomical, psychological, astrological, and mystical wisdom woven into the web of these starry stories. We will feature original music and guests from all walks of the way. We are gathered here today to celebrate the marriage of heaven and earth, the as above to the so below, the as without to the so within. Let us begin. We are go for lunch. crag of the Caucasus, an unbreakable adamantine lynx, Prometheus, suffered the torture, the burning heat of day, the freezing cold of night, and a red eagle sent to peck the liver from his side. Day by day, he cried and protected his pride. First, all he had to do for his release was apologize, but since he would not, since he tried to play his hand of trading the knowledge for the mother that would give birth to the child that would take Zeus's kingdom, and that had failed. The conditions for his release now were three. First, he must apologize for stealing the fire from the gods to give to his creation humankind. He must reveal the name of this mystery woman. And an immortal must choose to take his place. What immortal would ever choose a life of eternal torture? Can you believe there was one? Not unlike his son, Kronos, the father of Zeus, often pursued women away from his marriage. And during his dance with a mortal named Philyra, Kronos was nearly caught in the act by his wife Rhea. But just in that moment, he transformed himself into a horse to escape detection. And at that sacred second, a seed was planted in Philyra. 
a seed that would sprout as Chiron. Half horse, half man. Chiron, a centaur. Chiron, the first centaur, who, unlike the many centaurs to follow, was not some belligerent, hedonistic drunk. No, Chiron was the greatest mentor known to the myths. He taught the martial arts. Indeed, the greatest heroes of the stories were his students, Hercules, Jason, Theseus. In fact, he raised many of them. But he also taught healing. The greatest known mortal medicine man, Asclepius, was a student of Chiron's. And Chiron also taught the arts. He taught astronomy and cosmology, the sacred magic of astrology, logic, reason, painting, composition, music. His favorite instrument was the lyre or the harp. student on this greatest instrument was Orpheus, the greatest mortal musician ever known. Now when Orpheus returned from perhaps the greatest quest we've been told about, which was that for the golden fleece with Jason and his other Argonauts. When they returned successful, Orpheus met his true love, the vision that was Eurydice. And they were to be married. And it was time for a celebration. So Chiron told Hercules, let's party. Break out that wine of the gods I've had you guard for so long. Big mistake. For when the corks popped and that sweet aroma of the godly nectar wafted through the air, it found its way to the nostrils of the other centaurs who came and crashed the party. The humans tolerated their belligerence for some time until one centaur committed the ultimate wedding crime. He snatched the bride Eurydice from the ground and galloped away with her. That is, until one of Hercules' arrows found its mark in that centaur's heart. He dropped the bride, and he dropped dead. And a great battle ensued 
between man and centaur. But Chiron was not involved. He was too wise for that madness. And besides, which side would he choose? I mean, he was a centaur, but the humans were his students. No, instead the mentor sat on the sidelines watching the heroes he had trained engaging in the martial arts. But he became involved synchronistically, magically, perhaps even serendipitously for one. As one of the last arrows of that battle missed its mark and nearly caught Chiron in the neck. Fortunately, he caught it in thin air before it struck. Quite fortunately, because this arrow was shot from Hercules' bow, and this arrow was tipped in the deadliest poison known, a poison Chiron himself had instructed Hercules to make from the blood of the Hydra he had defeated. The battle ended, the humans victorious, but then something rather strange happened. Serendipitous, perhaps? Synchronistic, magical, Chiron dropped that arrow and before it found its mark in the ground below, it pierced the flesh of his shin. The deadliest poison known mingled with the blood of the great centaur, Mentor. But he could not die. He was half immortal, son of Kronos, Saturn. But half mortal, so he could feel pain. And did he ever writhing on the ground, screaming, excruciating pain course through his veins. The greatest healers who Chiron himself had trained rushed to his aid, but none could help, not even Asclepius, who was known to have raised the dead. And Chiron could not help himself. For weeks and weeks he suffered, creating modality after modality of the healing arts, and we have him to thank for that, but none would save him from this great pain. But this great pain gave to him another creation, empathy. Chiron was the first immortal because he was half mortal to understand the suffering of human. His pain increased his empathy along with it. He felt the torture of a broken heart. He felt in his own heart the shattering of the mother who loses child to war. His empathy 
grew and grew and grew as his pain grew and grew as his torture grew his empathy grew and grew and grew until it was enough to encompass the pain of he who was most tortured and this of course was Prometheus Chiron living in eternal pain saw that there was no need for Prometheus to do so why should two suffer if only one had to Chiron spoke to his half-brother Zeus saying I will take his place Prometheus was released It is said Hercules broke those unbreakable adamantine links that chained him to that lonely crag of the Caucasus as only Hercules could that Hercules fired an arrow through that liver hungry red eagle Prometheus must have apologized He must have revealed the name of that mystery woman none of the myths say who she was but i have a hunch prometheus was released but chiron was not forced to take his place zeus honored this gift of empathy chiron had given birth to prometheus was released and Chiron was allowed to die a graceful mortal death and has ever after been stationed in the heavens as the constellation Centaurus empathy is immortal Salutations from space and aloha from Earth. This is Gemini Brett, the astrolonaut of more than astrology, here with another episode of the Starry Telling Podcast, Prophecy of Prometheus, Chapter 3, Standing Rock. And I'm speaking quietly because we are very close to an incredible sight just two great blue herons fishing together I think we'll just quietly walk from them now so just give me 10 seconds and I'll be right back with you It would seem this is the perfect time for a studio overdub deep bow of gratitude to the heavenly harp of Dave Hoover, brother, musician, magician. Thank you for soundtracking 
this prophecy of Prometheus project. You know I love you. Today is Wednesday, Miércoles, Mercury's Day, October 12th, 2016. I hit record very intentionally at 8.28 p.m. because the 10th degree of Gemini was on the rise, as it was when I rose. And I'm fond of saying you might know that what was rising when you rose is rising within you. The ascendant is what you're here to learn in this lifetime, but also that you will raise it up for these archetypes. Just like us evolve and through our life's experience, and especially when we engage with the mysteries, not only do they inform us, but we inform them. And so I, from this point of view, am here to learn Gemini, and Gemini itself will learn from me if I engage with this quest in a good way. The 10th degree of Gemini, the Sabian symbol reads, an airplane writes itself after a nosedive. And you know what? I think the whole writes itself bit was written in later. I think the original symbol is just something like an airplane in a nosedive. But I like the writes itself portion since this is my rising degree and therefore a symbol of the story of my life. And those of you who know me personally might have a good chuckle with that one. So I wanted to begin with the horizon reflecting my personal beginning in this lifetime. Because one of the ways that we're here to raise Gemini up is to release ourselves from deception of duality and come into the quest of, of unity. Yeah, Through duality, through duality we find polarity and syzygy, the coming together. Yeah? And the storytelling podcast devoted to my greatest guide, Mercury as well. It's nice to have Mercury's air home of Gemini on the rise to begin. So I don't often plan so intentionally, but this time I got close to these herons and I figured I might as well wait and sit with them and just engage with them. And we were just literally five feet away. There's this thing about the heron. Have you seen them? You've seen them walk, yeah? So they take a few and they stop. And they take a few more steps and they stop. And they step further and they stop. And it's like that. And so if you want to approach a heron, be a heron. <laughs> yeah? Take a few steps and stop. And take a few steps and stop. And in this way, you will be welcomed as a heron. They'll look around and see you coming. (laughs) 
and if you keep coming, they will fly away and usually give a bark or two. If you stop, they may look at you and say, that's a rather human-looking heron. But he's coming in her right way. Yeah, she's coming in her right way. Take a few more steps. Stop. Try to stop before they look. And soon you will just be a heron. But you probably won't fish as well. So it's special to me to see a couple herons here together at the beach. Now, like many birds, it's said that herons are monogamous, mate for life. Um, but they typically fish alone. And they've become a really wonderful symbol for me. If you've listened to this podcast, you, you've heard me speak about the heron before. First, you know, Hermes Mercurius, who appeared as the one that the Greeks called Thoth, but was called Jehuti in Egypt, Kem. The ibis-headed bird, or the ibis bird, <laughs> and the one with that head, also the baboon, but, you know, so Hermes has appeared in this way. And no ibis here in West Seattle. So the heron, for me, is kind of our local representative of, of Hermes. And it's important to me to have this symbol of independence of undependence as I spend many of my life's hours in current times down here fishing alone, <laughs> as it were. And sometimes I bring this nifty device and hit record and speak about it. But oftentimes, I'm just here fishing. Catch a whole lot in this wonderful place here. This land is perhaps my greatest teacher. And so the heron gives me comfort in my aloneness. Yeah? Loneliness is very uncomfortable, as we know. There's a strength in aloneness. And there's a beauty in the knowing that these herons who fish alone. Maybe not only because that's more efficient, but because there's something in being with self and giving ourselves the opportunity to release self entirely and to be with nature and to merge with the infinite. And that's hard to do when we're with our mate. It's hard to do when we're with our crew, our tribe, our fellowship, even as intimate and as close as they might be. You know, how often are you with another without being you? Yeah? Maybe that's not said so eloquently, but I think you know what I'm getting at. And so the heron teaches this, yeah? And I feel as I sit and engage with heron 
that is it is through that selfness we enter the opportunity for true selflessness merging with the infinite and then the fish suddenly is in the beak you see but so to see these two fish together and in my fantasy I will paint them as mates whether this is true or not I cannot tell you this speaks to me in so many ways one in that great coming together of the inner and the outer of the yin and the yang but also of of lovers, you know, together, fishing together, side by side, and yet perhaps through this trust one for the other, to be able to engage in this act of merging with the infinite through selflessness. Kind of mystical talk today, I guess. <laughs> One of the reasons why I waited for my rising degree to be on the rise is that put Neptune right at the bending, right at the curve, the highest point of the ecliptic. And for you astrologers out there, you know then that Neptune is squaring my ascendant. <laughs> Transit at the time of my life, it would be perfect tomorrow. And I think it's what, from a cosmic perspective, drawing me to continuing this talk about Prometheus at this time because I want to speak about Neptune, about Pisces. I want to speak about Chiron as the story that led us in here, obviously suggests I am meant to, as we continue this look at Prometheus and what I feel is a prophecy that foretells the changing of the cosmic <laughs> curriculum at least hierarchy of mm, celestial crown and I will address that as we move through the further chapters this will probably be five or six all together it's been a bit since I recorded chapter two that was in July I remember I'm in the middle of <laughs> seven projects at once. As the Gemini mind, Gemini moon is wont to do. Um, and I feel that it is Neptune and these herons that encourage me to continue with the Promethean prophecy this eve rather than moving into the Venus material further though her current scorpionic conjunction with Juno and the black moon Lilith <laughs> might encourage that she is trining Chiron maybe guiding this as well and I don't want to lose us all in the astro babble anyway and so let me bring this into reality and into the body and into my personal experience this chat this evening and the subtitle Standing Rock mm, very much inspired by my community here in West Seattle 
fellowship, tribe, which of course is in no way mine and absolutely is, as I am theirs. I had an event this past weekend for fundraising for Standing Rock. And I believe it was initially inspired. Huh. Sorry, I feel like I'm hearing young eagles, which is surprising at this time of night. I did see a beautiful bald eagle down here yesterday. And then fell on my face. Anyway, um, Yaima was a really wonderful band here in Seattle. Um, Y-A-I-M-A. Have a look and a listen to Yaima. You can hear their music at band camp and in many places. Very special, beautiful beings. Pepper Proud and Masaru Higasa and Jeff Kimes and Everett and Kira and a lot of people in this crew who are bringing art through many directions, not music alone. Um, but Pepper, I know, was really inspired and called to Standing Rock and um, knew that this was a way that she could give besides going there herself. That's not available at this time. And I shouldn't speak for her, but that's what I seem to understand and so we came together and we had a water ceremony a prayer ceremony and some friends some community members who have been out at Standing Rock um, came and spoke to us about what's going on out there and women in our community Katie began the ceremony to which we all brought our own vessel of water and our own light to candle by reminding us that we were there together to pray for what we love, not against that which we hate. She said this more beautifully than I just did, but you get the point. And it was a really brilliant reminder. So if you've listened to the first couple chapters of this Promethean prophecy, and to the prelude especially about the Twin Towers, and you've heard me go into the depths and speak about 9-11, and to speak about Fukushima, and these kinds of things. This is not pleasant material. And of course, Standing Rock, in the current energetic that's happening out there, in many ways is not pleasant. And yet, there is deep beauty and so much of what has been promised in this strength of the cosmic conversation of late is showing itself 
and the many tribes coming down, coming together at this place in the Americas to protect the sacred land and to protect the sacred water in a good way. And this is what I love about astrology. Yeah? We can see these things aligning. We can see these windows opening. We can be inspired at times to flip out about the vortex opening of the Stargate awakening ascension minute, you know. Be careful with that. We can get our study into these places of precise prediction, predictivity that's not always productivity and often, therefore, also not accurate. To honor this study of space and time that brings us into the fancy of fate, but to leave room for free will. But this excitement when we see a thing taking form, we hear the echoes of happenings decades ago unfolding in our time now. We see the stresses shouting from the heavens and from the land. And we can dive fast into the fear of what that means and be ruled by that and manifest that in our own experience. We can fear that so much that we choose only to look at the lightest potential unfoldment of the available energetics, put everything into that, and deceive ourselves in believing that there aren't other potentials, yeah? One of the great pit, potential pitfalls of this art. We can allow free will to be, allow ourselves to know that not knowing is sometimes the greatest knowing. For let us be fascinated. But when we see the energies aligning put some open heart thought into how this might show and rest and experience allow through our own life's engagement this energetic to unfold in the mirror of the outer world. It is one of the greatest gifts of the mystic, of the seeker, who engages through the astrological art and science. So there was a post that I engaged with a year or so ago and it's part of the movement on the big island of Hawaii, which is really called Hawaii, of the We Are Mauna Kea movement, yeah? 
And so you may or may not know about this, okay? But Mauna Kea is, first of all, the tallest mountain in the world, from the base to the top. Massive volcano, now dormant, on the largest island of Hawaii, the island called Hawaii. And not quite to the top, but almost there, there are many gigantic telescopes. And We Are Mauna Kea was a movement to stop the building of a brand new, larger telescope. And you know, what's amazing here is that new telescopes go in and they don't even, though they stop using the old ones often, they don't take them down. And I've heard one uncle, one, one, one elder in Hawaii say this is like, you know, strapping some kind of permanent headlamp to grandfather's skull. Scarring grandmother, you know? This is sacred land. This is the most sacred land. And so I was hearing from friends like, oh, you must be really torn on this one, right? I mean, you want the big telescopes. You're a huge astronomer. And yet we know you to be a supporter of indigenous cultures. So no, this one is a no-brainer. Like, literally, turn your brain off. You ever think about that? I just did, right? No-brainer. Don't brain. Heart. And which side you want to take is obvious. So, of course, no telescopes. But what I mean to say is this is that and some of the comments of articles about these indigenous people fighting the advancement of science <laughs> people <laughs> writing about well you know this is just really strange not even I shouldn't say just in the comments but like literally you know scientists Astronomers who've been working on the mountains in Hawaii for years, looking at space. We've never seen this kind of resistance from the locals before. What is this about? <laughs> and then nobody seemed to respond to the astrologer's comment of, oh, Pluto and Capricorn? So... My intention on our walk through the park today is to stay in a good way in the prayer of what I do love and not to focus on that which would ask me to hate. And yet, to speak in a strong way, in a loving way, that avoids not the so-called rabbit holes and the experience that I witness in my world and you probably do in yours, of struggle and resistance to that which we would choose to see unfold.
And this prophecy that I'm engaging with in these many chapters is about that and about where that resistance actually comes from. So let's engage in this episode with empathy. Chiron gave this gift, did he not? He gave his life for the release of Prometheus. I will take his place. I will take his place. Prometheus was released, and Chiron did not take his place. For as you heard in the story, Zeus honored this gift of empathy, this first birth of compassion in the immortal realms. Zeus honored this gift, and instead of forcing Chiron to take Prometheus's place, once Prometheus was released, Chiron was instead given his eternal home in the heavens as the constellation Centaurus. And I would like to say that it was on a Hawaiian volcano on a different island, on the island of Maui, on Haleakala, the house of the sun, where I first sat at length with Centaurus as that beautiful constellation with its leg, the southern cross, crooks doesn't show itself this far north where I started engaging with the heavens intently here in Seattle. In the tropics, you can get a good gander, as well as in Arizona where I'll be soon. So anyway, Centaurus, due to the astronomical amazement of precession of the equinoxes, left... (laughs) the Northern Hemisphere's view. And when it did, Chiron, in many traditions, was repositioned to take residence in the constellation Sagittarius, aiming that arrow, this archer, who now became a centaur, at the galactic center, which the Mayans, I understand, called Hunabku, great-grandmother-grandfather, who created us and feed us with light. The arrow aiming at the center, this vortex, this spiral, this black hole, or so we are told by those who build the gigantic telescope. That arrow that fell from the hand which caught its misfire and pierced the shin of the great centaur mentor Chiron the birth of the sacred wound from which compassion from which empathy was born Chiron who taught the healers, who taught the musicians, who taught the artists, who taught the thinkers, later taught us 
to feel. Chiron, who taught the warriors. Perhaps teaches us peace. And so astrologically, Chiron is a bit tricky. Chiron, who didn't appear in the charts until the late 70s for Chiron as an astronomical body, one that is called a centaur, a body like an asteroid or a comet. People aren't necessarily sure, but live further from the sun than does the asteroid belt, which resides between Mars and Jupiter. Live further out these centaurs. Chiron, for example, typically lives between the orbits of Saturn and Uranus, but has such an eccentric, such an elliptical orbit that he can come between Saturn and Jupiter, you see. So he can come into the visible realms and can go as far out beyond Uranus's orbit into the realm of Neptune. You see, so Chiron is this bridge from the invisible to the visible. Barbara Hanklau, I believe, is the one that coined a term to associate Chiron as the rainbow bridge. And yet Chiron is not visible as an astronomic body, 1977 discovered. And yet... My understanding is that astrologers of old, Dane Rajar, for example, predicted that there was something out there with a 50-year cycle. Chiron's orbit is 50 years because this pattern of 50 years was expressed in those the astrologer was witnessing. So Chiron is very mysterious, unseen, you see, in some ways unknowable, slow, a 50-year return. And hard to describe and hard to engage with. And my personal feeling is as much as I honor Chiron and witness these times in my life when Chiron aligns to those zones of the zodiac, those fabrics of the heavens that held the planets of my song at the time of my first breath. As much as I attempt to guide friends and clients and whatnot through the Chiron times, I don't necessarily carry that wisdom. And perhaps once I'm 50 years old, which is getting closer and closer, then perhaps when my Chiron returns, then it will something be something I, I hold and better know. And that's the idea of the Chiron return, that the wound of the soul which has been salted many times, is now perhaps 
available. You see, visible is the wrong word for this. And this is obviously something that is true of the sacred healer, that we grow from this wound. We don't grow out of it. We don't grow away from it. But the medicine, our medicine, grows out of us, rooted in the waters of this wound. And it is not the conscious path of all embodied earthlings to experience the awakening of compassion through engagement with the sacred wound. But perhaps it is. Certainly, it's part of your path, for here you are. And let us make sure that we do not avoid the salt. (laughs) So that we will remember that medicine is cultivated from this wound. That light shines in the shadow. As we know We live in a time where the wounds of Gaia, that we as human beings, perhaps not you, perhaps me, perhaps yes, have gorged into our planet's body. And the wound that we feel and the fear and the pain of helplessness. That red pill that we ate (laughs) in matrix metaphor. Sometimes wishing we could go back (laughs) into that dream of non-reality. It seems not, though, to be an option. And thank God for that. And so these chapters have talked about difficult happenings, like 9-11, in the light in that terrible shadow. For it was one of the great earthquakes of awakening for myself and so many others that I'm honored to speak openly with. To speak about Fukushima, how many of us are still tuning in? Yeah, my sister just moved to Tokyo. I'll be going there. Sit with that land. (laughs) Speak to those herons. As the winds and waters blow, Seattle is not so far away. So we are told. And there was a lot of fear. And then a lot of opportunity. And then kind of disappeared. Not for all of you. Some of you are very tuned in. Some of you are still begging us (laughs) 
to look, to listen, to remember. Hand on heart, I have to say, I have not been so tuned into how things are progressing there. No, I think you know me well enough, whether you and I have yet met, <laughs> to know that I'm not one to believe everything I read. Especially when the message is, yeah, don't worry, it's all good now. And so, to not avoid the salt, though, I will, again, like to lend my heart to that which I love on our walk tonight. Let me say that while we are Monachaea, won this fight because they fought not. Because they stood sacred ground and spoke from the heart. And that type of speech rings true to the ear of any who is willing to listen. And though many are not when the masses do, the few sometimes must comply with truth. Yeah. And so a new telescope was not built on this most sacred ground of Hawaii. Though, while the resistance, a peaceful resistance, won the day that lasted years, on one island a new telescope was put on Haleakala, on the house of the sun, the highest mountain volcano of Maui. And the old and now, I'm told, unused massive telescopes that it has technologically replaced were not taken down. All right? I laugh because, you know, sometimes I hit record and say, you know, I'm going to keep this one short but sweet. <laughs> and I don't know, half a mile ago, I thought I'd go quickly into We Are Mount Nakea. You know, that's just not my style. This is not a podcast for the ADD crowd. All right. So the main point here is Pluto and Capricorn. Pluto, the hidden hand of the shamanic shakeup, taking us into the depths. No fear of just rattling that which from the plate no longer serves, maybe never did in the first place at least not in our conscious mind, shaking away the nonsense. And Capricorn, now Pluto was in Capricorn during the, you know, American independence. So on the USA birth chart, and Pluto will return to that place pretty soon, as I've discussed in previous episodes. So check those out if you'd like and you have not. But Pluto entered Capricorn for the first time since then, in the late 1700s, in 2008. 
And the promise of Pluto's dance through Capricorn, we would think or feel, is the entire shamanic restructuring. And when I say shamanic restructuring, restructuring, I mean destruction for the sake of creation. Death for the sake of birth, as we have all known in our life's paths. For Capricorn itself. And so there's a movie on my webpage, morethanastrology.com, if you scroll all the way down, because it was some of my first work. What the hell is a sea goat? And it speaks about Pluto through Capricorn, and it speaks about the Uranus-Pluto square, which is so much of a focus or an inspiration for this prophecy of Prometheus' work. But the idea is that we are talking about restructuring to structure itself. And that Capricorn in this patriarchal presentation of father, provider, lawmaker, rule giver, breadwinner, is false for Capricorn Earth, feminine, is the trunk of the tree. Yes, structure, but organic. And the roots, the ancestors, and feminine, the council of grandmothers, And so one of the beautiful guides that we have in this Pluto and Capricorn time, it began in 2008, is the 13 indigenous grandmothers who are coming around to speak some wisdom and shake us awake gently, beautifully, grandmotherly, is the return of true earth wisdom, is the gift in each of us in accessing through stillness that communication with the heron, with the eagle, with the cedar, with the redwood, with the bat, with our own DNA, the library of the soul. And in 2008, when Pluto ingressed into Capricorn for the first time since those late 1700s, what? Global financial crisis. Why? Because this fiat debt-based currency system is fake. And as the anger rises, I will try to slip back towards my intention. The bailouts will not last for so long. (laughs) Pluto will be dancing through Capricorn until 2023. Ingress Aquarius, come back for a little more. And then be gone for 260 years, come to 2024. And so there's times, especially... Uranus coming into Aries to complete the astronomical, astrological Uranus-Pluto square, bringing to surface some of the mid-60s movement, sprouting those seeds planted then now, breaking through the soil of the earth and into our experience. And this is what the last two chapters of the prophecy of Prometheus' work is about, so I won't regurgitate all of that now. But we'll say once again that when Uranus ingressed Aries from the waters of Pisces to the fire of Aries to stay for a time, it was March 11th, 2011, Fukushima. And we'll add now that when Chiron ingressed from the air of Aquarius, which, yes, can be technology and 
science into the water of Pisces, the oceans of all that is, the merging, the compassion, the healing, the suffering alike, the oneness. On the day that Chiron ingressed Pisces in 2008, encouraging me to scroll through my notes to find that date. It looks to me like actually 2010. And I have to say to verify this because I don't have it in my notes, and it's been a while since I've looked, but it looks like Chiron moved into Pisces first on April 29th, 2010. And then again to stay for some time on February 8th, 2011. We'll stay until April 17th, 2018. Anyway, at the time that he came in, I believe, and I wish I could just check this now, but I believe that was the Gulf oil spill I had a feeling that was 2008, and now I'm looking at these dates, and I'm seeing 2010, and I'm remembering I just talked about Aquarius, and part of this rap is about technology. So we're going to have a go with the World Wide Web, and I will type in Gulf oil spill, which unfortunately could bring to us, as we know, many hits April 20th 2010 the deep water horizon oil spill I have a hard time reading that without my standard joke of 420 bro but this was in such like a 420 moment in that essence of connecting with some kind of plant wisdom but it was very much in that essence in that <laughs> Deception potential in the inebriant of let's avoid reality, yeah? So Chiron at that border of Aquarius, air, technology, humanitarian, you know, awakening this world. We started talking about the, the dawning of the age of Aquarius, and that's part of this rap too, but not for today. And then into Pisces, into the age and where we are now. At this time, Chiron, what do we expect? We expect healing, mentorship, compassion. I will take his place. And what happens when Chiron comes to the waters? The waters that connect us all, Pisces. Yeah? The deep water horizon oil spill in the Gulf. And I hope you remember that. But what are the teachings of Chiron? And what do we learn when we read of his life's experience? It's through that wound that empathy was born. That compassion was born. And so what happens when we run from these wounds? If we just look away I filled my car with gas today. 
Now I can speak some justifications of driving a little electromagnetic Prius box that's also <laughs> electrifying me as some <laughs> justification. Hey man, I don't use that much oil. Well, where do those batteries come from? You know. Well, do I bought it used? Okay. <laughs> so look away because I don't want to admit that the knife that gouged that wound in my mother's body is in my hand, you see. And so Standing Rock, in this fight to protect the sacred water and the sacred land. Now we could speak also, you know, Chiron is culminating now, <laughs> and Neptune was when we began. We can speak also about Neptune, because Neptune now is in Pisces, you see. And in modern astrology, this is Neptune's home. Yeah? So we want to say that Neptune is in its power then. All right? Neptune ingressed Pisces in April 4th, 2011, joining Chiron there. And so we have these two planets that are often said to be those of great healing in this sign, known for its healing, its capacity to hold the suffering of the world, to bring that cosmic shoulder <laughs> for us to cry on, this connectivity, this we are the world, this all the world's children are my children. In fact, they are me, I am he is he is she, and she is we, and something about a walrus. And, Imagine, you know. <laughs> and the beauty of Neptune has that capacity. I mean, I spoke in recent episodes about the Jupiter and Libra bit that I also mean to continue. And actually, this is a place where that work and this Prometheus prophecy work will begin to merge. I spoke of Neptune as the, the heavens you know, that if we picture our spiritual path as a hot air balloon ride, that that's where we are heading, yeah? And, and the highest golden rules and beauty of spirit and the unknowable waters. Yeah, and so there's a beautiful side of Neptune that speaks in this way, and there's another side of Neptune that, you know, is delusion itself. There's connectivity. I mean, Neptune found in 1864... Mathematically, Uranus was found by accident. Uranus is about accidents with technology, the telescope. During the midst of all these revolutions, Uranus is about that. Neptune was found also with a telescope, but first was calculated where Neptune would be. Because why? We noticed that something was pulling on Uranus. And you see, so we are all connected. And that essence of mathematics which is an abstraction, which is of the mystical world, if it's honored for what it truly is. And that's rare. And so Neptune carries that 1864 as well. What's well, like gold rush is happening, expansion is happening, you see. And not many years later, a treaty signed with the Standing Rock Sioux a new name for an ancient tribe 
because they were given some area of land, and only that land, which included all of the Dakotas on one side of the Missouri River. And that land got less and less and less as treaties were betrayed. Big shocker there. The Supreme Court on record saying this is one of the worst deceptions known to man. Does that mean they gave the land back? You know the answer to that. So we decide we can start fracking. It's like, oh, well, we thought we gave you the worst land possible, but you know what? I guess there's oil in there, so sorry about your graveyards, folks. We need to do a little digging. Don't mind us. And the waves crash. <laughs> All right. So back to the heart. There is the side of Neptune, however, the great golden heart of the one true source. The magic that Masaru Emoto taught us of water being able to carry our prayers, that our consciousness literally in relationship with the water that we speak to can reshape its crystals, that we can cure pollution with consciousness. So Secret Life of Water, if you don't know the work of Masaru Emoto, please have a look. Perform the experiments yourself. All right, well, you might not have a microscope capable of observing water crystals, but there are experiments that you can perform with rice. If you don't know about it, I'll tell you right now. You know, make some rice. Some white rice is the easiest one to see this. I've done it myself. And you make three bowls. Cook the rice, all right? Sticky rice, three bowls. And one bowl you label, I love you. And every morning you sit with that bowl of rice just for a short time and remind it how much you love it. Another bowl of rice, I hate you. Emoto wrote on his bowl, I hate you, I want to kill you. Okay. And you sit with that bowl every morning. I hate you, I want to kill you. At the same time, and see, here's a great exercise. Can you shift your vibe from the one to the other intently? And the third bowl, you write nothing, and you ignore. Now, guess which roll of <laughs> rice, which bowl of rice will rot least quickly? You have guessed correctly. The bowl that you love has this long life, well beyond average expectations of the life of rice. What happens to I hate you, I want to kill you bowl? Well, it gets black and green and dark and twisted and poisoned and moldy pretty quickly. But here's the kicker not as quickly as the bowl that is absolutely ignored. And so there's been a lot of I want to kill you, I hate you, energetic with the earth. The dominion over the planet 
as spoken in some books of old that some people choose to justify then this act of taking what we want from our planet. Mine. Yeah, so there has been some of that, no doubt. There's been some of that publicly written about, but there's been a whole hell of a lot more of just ignoring it. Hasn't there? And I'm not just talking about, oh, that oil spill, I'm going to ignore that because I cannot deal with that right now. My life is stressful. I just filled my tank. That Fukushima, oh my gosh, I really can't talk about that. More sushi, please. Wait, what's that thing about dolphins and the tuna net? When, <laughs> sorry, more sushi. Just filled my tank. You know. But I'm just talking about like unconscious folks going to drill a pipeline. It's their job, you know. And they're doing it for good. Perhaps your next president voted in favor. Why? Because he or she is in the pocket of the corporations, perhaps. Perhaps because this oil will release us from the need to import oil from overseas, thereby making things more efficient, better for the environment, better for our economy, 8,000 to 20,000 jobs for the people. energetic independence all right delusion man <laughs> that's the other side of neptune who rules the arts and film the gold rush would have been heavily televised were that an option at the time telegraphed It has been said that perhaps it was a organized thing to get so many people in the lands of California so the stake would be claimed before it was so politically or through war. Interesting. How you doing? Good, how about you? All right. Running at night with the headlamp on. And why did you hear? He said, oh, sorry. <laughs> why? Hello. Brother. So ignoring, yeah? Ignoring. And, you know, the truth is, for some time, we just didn't know. Or didn't we? And if not, then why not? Because whose wisdom was ignored? The wisdom of the earth. And perhaps because it was a people who did not know how to listen and perhaps because those who did were destroyed by those who did not. But not totally. And thank God is for that. Because here they are now standing strong, protecting sacred ground and sacred water and through what hate and war could lead to that you know
watch enough old western films. You better be careful because you might get scalped, says the idiot <laughs> manipulated through film, which is another scene you see of Neptune. Right? So I wanted to say, okay, when I'm looking at these planetary happenings, it's like, wait a second, Uranus into Aries from the waters of Pisces into the fire of Aries, and there's Fukushima on the day, if you listen to the last chapter of this, that the Uranus-Pluto square was first realized through the ancient technique of testimony. All right? Fire in the water. Accidents revolutions, technology gone wrong. But why? What's the higher purpose of that accident? And in my world, there has to be one, for this is all divine. Or maybe that's just Neptunian delusion. Chiron, a short time before, 420, bro, into the healing waters of Pisces from the technological, humanitarian breakthrough, Aquarius, <whistles> Gulf oil spill. What? Well, that might just be how Chiron does, people, because you know the wound, so that compassion will be born, so Prometheus will be released, and it's going to be okay. It will if we don't ignore that wound. Chiron felt it. And then through empathy, then gave himself for Prometheus's release. Why? Because why should two of us suffer for eternity? If only one must, I will take his place. Selfless sacrifice earned Chiron a place in heaven. Does that sound familiar? And so how often are we given this rap in some modern traditions and some not so modern that selfless sacrifice is the only way to heaven? How many live their life in a way of service and giving and volunteering than to make it to heaven? And if so, is that selfless? And in that rap, what are you being told to forget the self? Is that what Chiron did? Am I wrong to speak of it that way? Well, one thing is for sure. He did not do that to get to heaven. Maybe he did because he was maybe the smartest one of all time. But I don't think so. I think it was the thing to do. And he knew it. He was probably surprised when he didn't have to take Prometheus's place standing by that rock in chains a red eagle pecking the liver out every day blistering heat in the freezing cold at night when it would regenerate to be pecked anew the next day a pretty rough rap yeah but he was not forced to take his place stationed in the heavens a story that predates the bearded one who walked on water by many centuries, if not a millennia. Was that this type of selflessness that's being coached in neo-spiritual mechanisms to destroy self? 
And so when I speak about Heron, and when I speak with Heron and sit with Heron and observe selflessness, it is not destruction of the individual that I observe. And it's actually the empowerment of the individual through release of the construct of who we think we are or wish to present ourselves as so we can engage through our soul to the greater understanding of planet, of system, of galaxy, of universe, yeah? Do we want to live in that state at all times? No, and we cannot. Perhaps we can. It's probably called death. Maybe it's called samadhi. I don't know. Will I realize that full time in my life's experience? No. (laughs) Perhaps. Didn't it happen for all of us on December 21st, 2012? (laughs) And you know what? Next time, we'll talk about that business. And we'll talk about the flood. Well, next time in this particular Prometheus work anyway. Neptune, also film. So also manipulation. You know, it's funny, one of my first teachers in astrology, I guess my first, Daniel Chamario, Shamanic Astrology Mystery School. I mean, he doesn't run from the shadows of Neptune, but it's mostly seen as this kind of heavenly planet, healing planet doesn't mean you're not going to have some serious confusion and some fog when Neptune comes around in order to have a better access to the light that you don't yet know. But then, you know, other teachers and friends, (laughs) a different look at Neptune. Pluto will take you down into the depths and destroy you so you can be reborn. Neptune is twice as tough because first it takes you up into the heavens and then drops you so you fall twice as far. So what happened when Neptune ingressed Pisces in 2011? So I searched that date. You know, this is the day that love is born. (laughs) It's pretty close to the Fukushima happening, but the very specific thing on that date that I believe I remember finding was like the most televised event of all time, which was the marriage of a prince to Kate, you know? What? Really? My friend Zachary invited me to a concert the other day. It was a movie slash concert. It was amazing. And I can't remember why, but what came into me was this idea of Prince Charming, but it's P R I N T S. <laughs> and I saw this image of like a computer monitor with a with Disney Prince Charming on it and then you know a printer printing out that same image and there's that kind of vibe right when I think about this false presentation of leadership in this old guard of royal family and whatnot that frankly appears not to carry honor, integrity, valor, chivalry, radiance, aliveness, 
authenticity, vulnerability, reality. And so, had I turned into the presidential debates last week, and to tell you the truth, I did watch some highlights, though rather they felt low lights to me. I watched a couple of people bickering about personality. And truthfully, here we have this absurd clown who sadly is bringing to the forefront, at least through the media's presentation, this current of American making it great again, which apparently means racism, sexism, hatred, dot, dot, dot. And so clearly the lesser of two evils, and yet on the other side, someone with more blood on her hands than there would seem to be blood. And I'm sorry if that's where you are leaning and if I've pushed buttons, but yet if you look at the record of votes for and assistance in regime change and provision of weaponry and, you know, so let's (laughs) not, not fall into that place right now, but it's important and Right, so we can justify, and we do because, well, we can't vote the other way or else we get the clown, you know. And the point of this thing is, what do we hear? Do we hear anything about Standing Rock? Do we hear anything about oil spills and the environment? We hear that one doesn't really believe in climate change. And so we put a feather in the cap of the other who has notoriously voted for fracking and pipelines. Yeah. And part of this change and this cosmic transition and this opening into a new way is the coming of free energy. And I will address that as... I move along in these chapters, but the truth, if you never listen to me babble once again, is that we will not earn the right to free energy until we free our energy. So are we running away or running towards reminds our running friend me to ask myself. So what I mean by that I will address another time. But we'll attempt finally You know, my prayer, when I put my magic bracelet on, is made of beauty of these beautiful souls speak through me now, and I guess you're as angry as I am. And I love you for it, you know, because there's a beautiful anger, energy, available that will see this revolution. But it is not one of rage, and it is not one of war, and it is not one of fighting, but rather one of compassion. And one of love. 
And so <laughs> here they are still fishing together, staring at us as the rains begin to fall. Let's um, walk in the other way just for another moment. See if I can retrograde myself. What do you know of Standing Rock? Why don't the two dominant presidential candidates for this election that's coming just in a few weeks know about it? And if they do, why aren't they talking about it? What do you know about the treaty that was written four years after Neptune's discovery? in 1868 to reserve this land for tribes who had been pushed so far from their home. What do you know about not many years later their most sacred land being claimed by those who believe that land can be claimed? What do you know about the timeline of these recent events? And I'll ask you to look, and you know, I'll I'll include, I hope to remember to, a few links here, all right? But let's not just get lost in the dream and how much is being suppressed in media as dogs have been released and people who are standing in a peaceful way for sacred land and sacred water, who, how much is being lost from the video shot of arrests being made by local police and sheriffs and perhaps even the coming of the National Guard and such things that we would rather not see. And how much is being shown of the beautiful happenings there in the Dakotas. Yeah, so the general scene is this, right? A pipeline is being built that will bring oil from North Dakota to Illinois. That will create so many jobs, that will create energy independence, that will bring the Dakotas back into economic wealth instead of welfare and yada, 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 okay? Is there a truth to that? Perhaps, perhaps. But at what cost? And how is it that now Native people who had the right since the beginning, though ignored and written in the treaty, that approval must be given by those who this land was given to, giving land to those who never believed, my understanding is, that land can be given, yeah? And there is no approval given, obviously, for a pipeline to go through this sacred land and to go underneath the Missouri River, okay? And so this is where it's like, hey, take it easy. This is the water that feeds our tribe, your tribes, the world, the food, everything, and water is life. Yeah, yeah is what we're hearing. And that, what a beautiful, beautiful statement. And an old statement for those who speak to the land.
And so hundreds of tribes are gathering together to stand strong in protection of this water, of this land, and the way that has an opportunity of reminding us of connection to the earth, to nature. And this, of course, includes the planets and the cosmos, the stars, you know. To allow us to awaken from the dream that we were born into and reconnect to the infinite. Not through destruction of the individual. Not through the destruction of the self. Not through the sacrifice of the self. But through the destruction of the selfish. To connect to the selfness. So we have the wisdom and the opportunity to release into selfless, into merging, the return of empathy, the return of compassion, the return of the water. And so those whose voice was nearly destroyed and yet never could be are coming to speak to remind ears that are open of the true way. And tribes that have been in some senses at war or at least in no way in peaceful relationships due to troubled history in the past are now carrying flags. Yeah? Smoking of the same chanupa, the the sacred pipe. And pipes that have not been lit for hundreds of years are now. And pipes that have never been lit side by side are now. And things that I don't necessarily carry the experience or the wisdom to speak of authentically. And so I stop myself now. But I would like to share this because it was so inspirational. Not only did we hear native wisdom at the ceremony here in Seattle last weekend. But we heard from a sister, Victory Lundquist, who I met a couple years ago. You know, Actually, I think at, at my talk, that's called um, Songs in the Key of Seas, S-E-A-S, about Chiron and Pisces and Neptune. And the water wisdom of Masaru and Moto and fractals and dreams and these kinds of things. And that's another movie you can see at my website if you'd like. Near the bottom as well. <laughs> so, Victory, all right, blonde hair, blue eyed, white girl. But one who's been sweating in an EP sweat lodge for years, who's been a sun dancer. And many of you will know what that means. I'm not talking about a film festival, <laughs> Neptune. I'm talking about spirit. 
service, sacrifice, compassion, prayer, Neptune, Chiron. Victory, my understanding from my remembrance of what he shared, was heading out to the Dakotas to assist with some schools there, and that didn't happen. <laughs> and this can kind of be a Neptune thing, too. So we see it as delusion, you see. Like, hey, come out, here's an opportunity. You're called to this, and then suddenly that's not there. But that was just to get us in the right place so that spirit can direct us to where we truly are meant to be. How many times have you known that in your life? And she ended up at Sanding Rock. And she ended up helping some people who were bleeding. And she ended up basically running the medical tent there. And she ended up, and you have to talk to her about this, and maybe before she leaves to return, I'll have an opportunity to, to interview Victory for the 13th Flower Project. She ended up being invited into traditional ceremonies that, again, I cannot really speak about, and to have a role in these, yeah? And so, again... Victory is not new to these traditions, but she was, she shared that she was invited by true elders of the tribes to give of her gifts, to speak of her experience, and was seen as someone that matters and not seen as some enemy. Yeah? So this is a very interesting thing. When you tap into the Standing Rock stream because some people are very angry, you see, about the white man. And yes, the white man includes the white woman, but especially the white man. <laughs> it's a painful thing sometimes. It's very interesting to come from privilege. I am a white male American who've never starved or worried about a roof over my head. Now, as I've like quit real jobs, so they say, <laughs> and taken on my real work, it's much more of a struggle than it's ever been, and yet not at all. And part of happiness in the new world that we are giving birth to, which is not our granddad's new world, is the restructuring of what we were taught is success. And while this is part of this story, this is not for now. Regardless, here I am. On the wrong side <laughs> of the sexist debate because I was born with a penis, yeah? On the wrong side of the racist debate because I was born white, you see. On the wrong side of the economic and social debate because I was born from a family that had, not rich, but some means. And so this is all on the right side in the sense of having a so-called comfortable life of opportunity and yet a very difficult way when we come in 
to open-hearted communication with those who have suffered the shame of racism, the ridiculousness. (laughs) I don't know if you got to hear the heron or the plane, but they're both happening right now. (laughs) Heron just laughed at me. It's like, take it easy, dude. So you you know what I'm saying here, all right? Now, I've had the opportunity through engaging vulnerably, authentically, as much as I've been able to with sisters. And it's mostly my invitation has been extended when I stopped being the soft, I'm sorry for everything men have ever done and open to how do we bring balance? Let's sit as equals at the table and let me stay strong in masculinity as I'm learning to. Yeah? And so there's been a lot of talk about, hey, you know, white man can't be trusted, he just takes, he just rapes the land. And hey, justified, yeah? Look at history. And yet, this is what will shift. This is the power of beauty. This is the magic and the medicine and the compassion and the birth of empathy through the wound of the release of those who would choose the chains to protect pride through the heart. It is the teachings of the waters. And so we walk here and the heron friend again, now alone, rain on her back and she cares not. (laughs) And I feel in my heart that she's no longer fishing for food but she's as interested in us right now as we are in her. She might just want to have another laugh. I do. Laughter is incredible medicine. Prayer is incredible medicine. And so Victory shared at this ceremony how Shortly after the tribes gave to this corporation a map showing where the most sacred sites, the burial sites were, to please at least leave these undisturbed, how the very next day they attacked and bulldozed those very places quite intentionally. And how in the camps, in celebration of prayer, like when that energy comes up, how 
it's a different kind of party, you know. It's not some drunkenness, but in that cohesion, in that ceremony, in that community, in that fellowship, we can get excited. And how elders spoke to remind those in this way that burial grounds had just been desecrated and that spirits were witnessing. So to remember to stay in a good way. My heart was so happy to hear of her invitation and the invitation of so many and the invitation that she herself spoke to us, which was to say that these many, many tribes have come together in solidarity around the sacred land, around the water. And that if we're called, we should join because bodies are needed. But not only bodies, because what she said she saw that was missing was this thing that our communities bring at this ceremony. There was beautiful, you know, quartz crystal bowls on an altar where we brought our candle and we each poured some of our own water and our prayers into. And I'm not sure what they will do with that water, but I have some good ideas because I know how we do. And victory spoke about this is needed there. And you know what's needed is what we've learned in this festival culture. And now this is an interesting trip, okay? Because is Burning Man, which people spend thousands of dollars to do, yeah? To have a life-changing experience. Is it not for the privileged? I haven't been, I cannot speak, I have many great burner friends. I'm somewhat embarrassed not to have gone. I would do it a lot differently now than I would have 10 years ago, as we all would, I am sure, in one way or another. I'm not at the place, I think, empathically, intuitively, necessarily, where I can be with 60,000 people quite yet, but I'm working my way back, playing my way back to that capacity of connection and upset. You don't go to Burning Man if you're broke. You can't even get a ticket, yeah? But what's happening with people there? Okay, sure, some people are just going to get lit or have their psychedelic experience or whatever. I don't want to say this like from a judgmental way. Some people are going to explore their sexuality. Some people are going to pray. Some people are going to be engage with living art. Some people are doing things I will never understand unless I go. You burners out there just laughed. <laughs> Knowing that I don't even hold the vocabulary to express that experience for I've not had it. Many people have gone and have explored village building, creation, rapid construction, and are learning more and more, my understanding is, to create and destroy, to build and take back down and recycle and recreate in such a way that leaves less of a footprint. The whole idea of like the Bucky Dome is coming back online, you see what I'm saying. And as things are getting colder in the Dakotas, 
one thing that's happened, a great sister who also spoke, who's bringing a, a wonderful bus out <laughs> full of surprise, supplies that we were donating, and that some of the money, the proceeds from the ceremony will contribute towards, yeah? My understanding is that she also had flyers and parking to the lines, or speaking to the lines of cars leaving Burning Man. Hey, do you have boots, you know? Do you have jackets? Do you have coats? We're going to Standing Rock. We're going to bring. And if you're called, come, because village building, permaculture, composting, toilets. Yeah? And so you see, even in this festival culture, which, yes, does tend to be most populated by the privileged. I hope this doesn't offend to speak it that way. This is my experience of it. There is an awakening indigenousness. <laughs> Something that no word has yet been spoken of, or at least I have not heard it. An awakening inspiration to put our ear to the land and to hear what is spoken to us for those of us who had no teachings about the plants and the animals and the earth but spent our time in science class and television shows yeah who in our own ways felt that 2012 tidal wave that might not have come to crush our reality, but didn't it? And maybe yours came early, and maybe yours is still on its way, but are you not different today than you were four years ago? Incredibly different, are you not? And maybe you've been at this for 30, 40 years, and great, you are a guide for the rest of us, simply by engaging with your own dream and so there is a sense in the fearful side of my privilege that I would not be welcomed in such a place because I am of the heritage of the perpetrators that my ancestors owned slaves, that my ancestors took land, betrayed treaties. But I know that that fear is not reality for all. And to hear of this welcoming, of this invitation, of this truth, that we have something to contribute, that I have something to contribute. This is the promise that I hear echoed in the celestial song that is sung now and is coming online in a beautiful way. In the way that fills my heart with hope for I have heard the song of a true dream
in that dream is soundtracked by songs whose lyrics are not constant apologies, whose singers are not pointing fingers at the perpetrators, whose rhythm section is not locked into some redundant message of conspiracy and hatred, but instead, like the water itself, is carrying the prayer of everyone And so it's time for us to choose our bowl of rice. I love you. I hate you, I want to kill you. Or I will continue to ignore you, which is even worse. On September 9th, 2016, the day that Jupiter ingressed Libra and many of we astrologers spoke about the coming promise of justice and balance and peace, the Supreme Court ruled that the corporation who was planning to put this pipeline under the Missouri River was in the right to do so, that the Legal papers filed by the Standing Rock Sioux tribe were insignificant and had no place in the law and that construction should go ahead. On the same day, September 9th, 2016, the day that Jupiter ingressed Libra, and many of we astrologers were speaking of balance and peace in this, the Department of the Inferior, the Department of Justice, and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers released a statement advising the corporation to stop building this pipeline until further action could be determined. In this statement, there were such words of hope, such as the indigenous wisdom, the elders of the tribes will be brought in in any environmental decision moving forward. (laughs) In some kind of Neptune hocus-pocus, you know, watch the fancy film, it's all good, you guys won the good fight, it's all good, go, you know, go back to rest. Peace has been won. You can pack it up and go home. Sorry about the whole attack dogs thing. And then what? Arrest, army, you know. So it's important that we don't run away from the it's all okay. that we don't hide the wound from the salt, you see, because it is that salt, it is that awareness, it is that feeling, that pain, that suffering that has given rise in this Chironian way to this empathy, to this retrieval of our intuition, to the empowerment of we as human beings awakening to our true selves, to taking back the power of self so we can choose selflessness to engage again with the infinite and bring that back through our own empowered voice and so many of you have developed these gifts many of you are healers many of you like me 
are still wondering where you fit into the picture. Many of you have been called to support Standing Rock, and you can do so through economic contribution, if nothing else. Many of you will go there physically once you learn more. And I'll do my best to remember to, to put some adequate links here in the description of this podcast episode on SoundCloud. And, uh, we'll ask you to do the same, because there are many ways to give. Yeah? So maybe post a link in a comment if, if there's a way where you think that could really come through. But maybe you are a village builder. Maybe you are the master of compostable poo handling. Maybe you know permaculture. Maybe you know how to support masses of people congregating in a place that was not necessarily built to support them all to help them survive the cold of the winter and stay strong to protect this sacred way. Maybe you are also inspired to spread that word. And maybe you, too, know that this is a reflection without of the world within. (laughs) And maybe you, too, just heard the hair and laugh once again. Or maybe that was a bit of, go ahead, y'all. And so as we are connecting to the land, as we are opening our ears to our sisters with wings, (laughs) our brothers with fur, claws. Scales. Bows and hooves. As this is happening in our world within, of course we will see it without. Of course we will. And so in your world, friend, in your world, the elders are coming together in a peaceful way, in an open-hearted, connected, grounded, wise, beautiful, healing way that does not say you are the perpetrator but invites you to be part of a movement to allow the waters of spirit to flow because water is life and because you know this you are tuned in to a reflection in the outer world that shows you a better way soon comes because this age has already begun And I bow to your wisdom and to your gifts and to your contribution, to your sacrifice and to your medicine and to your wound. Thank you 
for dancing beautifully in the ballroom of the Earth Game. This is your confused, somewhat bitter, but mostly friendly astrolonaut Gemini Brett signing off. Love and planets, beautiful people. I will see you in space. Encore! I'm at home with a hot cup of tea in me, some time to reflect on the things I said and didn't say, and the things I didn't, didn't say. Outside, to hear the rain falling now, the storm coming our way is meant to be quite something. There's a reflection in a window out here that looks like a full moon, but it can't be, because the moon is not yet full and the Seattle cloud is eating the sky. A full moon comes our way in three days. A full moon in Aries conjunct Uranus and Eris. A huge initiation, energetic, into this prophecy of Prometheus, into this Uranus-Pluto square, something I hope to write about some. I see Rick Levine has posted about it. I know the Shamanic Astrology Mystery School did too. I haven't listened or read either yet, but I will. And I suggest you do. Some great teachers and guides there. And I hear, driving home, the words of Pepper proud in my ears that sing, Rain doesn't doubt that it will end up in the sea. Doesn't seem to worry about its destiny. That from Pepper's song, Salty Bodies, which you can hear on her Water album. And I thought about adding that here. It's a beautiful song of faith a song that we hear in the waters. But I think I'll end instead with maybe more of a challenging song, yet very beautiful and pensive, contemplative, <laughs> wise, Pepper's song, Reservoir, from the same album, Water. And I do want to say a few things, because there was meant to be hope when I closed that show, and hopefully that was heard. Neptune and Pisces, Chiron and Pisces, this Uranus-Pluto square, all of these themes I'm speaking about astrologically, they carry a strong sense of shift, of awakening, of hope. Not a promise that will come to us unless we come to it, you see. And so we do, and so we are, and so we will, and so it will be. And so it is. There's themes I look forward to exploring further, and we'll do so, I believe, in the, in the Jupiter side of this work, which uh, another ongoing project in this podcast is in Lakesh, speaking about Jupiter and Libra. And Jupiter just this week was born visibly in the morning sky in Libra, seen there, he ingressed there September 9th, but now he's visible coming out from under the sun's beams, born again in the morning sky, rising a new way in the air, which speaks to the East, Libra, the air we share that carries our voices. And mutual reception between Jupiter and Saturn, I, I look forward to sharing more about how I feel that actually could bring us out of the possible delusions of 
peace treaties that might not necessarily be that or ceasefires that might not necessarily be that into the opportunity of higher truth actually being heard in law, in justice, in themes like this. And I have hope in my heart for that and I know that in my own life if I engage with those opportunities within they will be reflected in the world without I know this and as much as I could speak about the delusion of the media and the television and the nonsense of those who won't address reality but choose instead to keep us in some false dream we also have the opportunity to bring forth the dream through the media, the way that we create it. Yeah. And to document (laughs) those who would stand in the way of beauty and peace coming forth. I hope to interview Victory. We just exchanged some text messages and we'll see if she has some time for my 13th flower project, the Venus project, which is mostly shown up on YouTube. And we'll speak about this emergence of the radiant queen and the power of the true divine feminine who is not only expressed through the Council of Grandmothers speaking to us once again, but also to this leadership and this roaring flame and this sovereign scepter, as I've come to call this emerging Anana. So hopefully victory will have time and our schedules will align and I can share that there. So here's this continuing project of the prophecy of Prometheus and in the Kesh, the Jupiter and Libra project and the Leo-Venus synodic cycle, 13th flower project, all merging. Um, So if you are inspired by this thread and would like to hear more, these are all different places for the story to continue. These many branches I'm called to climb all emanate from the same trunk is one of my favorite mantras that Gemini has taught me. So let me just say with confidence that if you feel hope, you are not simply dancing in some delusional way. This is real. And politically speaking, sure, Bernie might not be on the ticket, but he said in his own words that he was not the revolution. We are. Please let us remember this. So maybe we should run, but better let. (laughs) Maybe we should walk with our heads and our hearts held high. There's a power of beauty returning to this world. And this might salt a wound, but I have been sitting and contemplating the difference between the return of the divine feminine and the divine feminist. And my heart smiled broadly when I heard Victory speak about how elders were encouraging, inviting, supporting, protecting women to stand at the front lines at Standing Rock because it has always been known that woman is the guardian of water but encouraging them not to feel the need to step up in a warrior way, or at least in a masculine warrior way, but in a power of beauty, to not be afraid to wear the skirts at the front of the line. 
and this is something I really hope to explore with Victory, but certainly we'll be speaking about in the 13th flower more and more as those episodes come along. In fact, on Friday, I will be interviewing the most magical Maria Stark in that project. So if you haven't tuned into it, please do. You can just search 13th flower on YouTube or Gemini Brett there. Um, or on my homepage, morethanastrology.com, you can scroll down, you can find these podcast episodes, and below that, the 13th flower playlist and that kind of thing. There is a great reservoir of sharings available to you there. But let's learn about the reservoir now of the great, vast, infinite, endless seas from an infinite artist, poet, philosopher, awakened, embodied, beautiful friend, Pepper Proud from her album, Water. This is Reservoir.
can choose